When I hear the lesson from Acts chapter 10 that we heard as our first reading today, I begin to wonder whose conversion are we supposed to celebrate? Cornelius and the other Gentiles who hear the word and receive the Holy Spirit, or Peter and the circumcised believers who are with him who are utterly astonished at what takes place. Now, if you glossed over that reading without even noticing it, I wouldn't blame you. The lectionary doesn't do us any favors. It slips in the very end of the story and seems to assume that we all read it last night before we went to bed. The story is rich and wonderful. I talked about it in the Sunday school class just a little while ago. I love this story, but we don't hear it in church. The lectionary never gives us the rest of Acts chapter 10, probably because the lectionary authors know that our attention spans won't allow us to hear the whole story in church. But it's a shame because when you just read the bit we've got, just this end of the story, it's easy to think that the real thing, the real powerful moment that is given to us is this thing that happens to the Gentiles, but it's not. The more profound conversion is what takes place in the hearts and minds of Peter and those who came with him. Let's rewind just to the beginning of chapter 10 and remember the story, and I bet you'll remember bits and pieces of it. It starts in a place called Caesarea, in the house of a man called Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a centurion, a Roman officer, a fairly wealthy sort of fellow, but Luke who is the author of Acts, Luke tells us that this centurion Cornelius wasn't like your average Roman soldier. He was a God-fearer. He respected and prayed to the God of Israel. He was a generous man who gave alms to the Jewish people to support them and their synagogue and their causes. He prayed continuously, we are told, which is to say he prayed throughout the day the way that a faithful Jewish person would pray throughout the day. And as we start Acts chapter 10, we begin with a prayer of Cornelius. At about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's praying the prayer that he would be expected to say if he were Jewish. And sure enough, in the middle of that prayer, an angel shows up. And the angel says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and seen your generosity. Here's what God wants you to do. Go and send some people to the next town over a little ways down called Joppa and see if you can find this man named Simon, who's also called Peter, and tell him to come back. Cornelius, knowing what it means to be obedient when given an order, does exactly what he's told, and he sends those men on their way. Meanwhile, in that place called Joppa, Simon, whom we think of as Peter, is getting hungry. It's about noon the next day, and he goes up on the roof to say his very typical Jewish prayers. And in the middle of those prayers, Peter falls into a trance. He sees something strange, a sheet being lowered down out of heaven by its four corners. 
And when the sheet settles on the ground, Peter looks and sees all kinds of animals, four-footed animals and reptiles and birds. And Peter hears a voice that says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. But Peter knows right away that that can't be right, because the animals, we are told, in that sheet aren't kosher. They're not clean. And Peter spent his whole life being faithfully Jewish, and he knows he's not allowed to eat those things. So Peter says, by no means, Lord, I've never tasted anything that is common, that is profane, that is unclean. But the voice calls out to Peter a second time and says, what I have called clean, you should not call unclean. And then the sheet disappears up into heaven. And if that wasn't enough, it happens three times, three different times. The sheet comes down, he hears the voice, he asks the question, and it disappears again. And right as Peter's standing there trying to figure out what all this means, there's a knock at the door. And who is it but the messengers from Cornelius? Can you see how this story fits together? Before he even knows who's there, Peter hears the Holy Spirit tell him, go with them without hesitation. So he walks downstairs and says, I'm the guy you're looking for. Let's go. Cornelius the Gentile has his own vision, but Peter gets one too. And it takes both of those visions working together, God speaking to both of these men in separate places with separate stories in order to make this amazing thing happen. Peter needed God to tap him on the shoulder in a pretty dramatic way in order for him to understand that God might do something that he didn't see coming. That God was about to do this thing that the world had never known. That God was about to break down one of the most fundamental barriers in human civilization, the barrier that says that who we are in God's eyes isn't as much about what we believe, but about who we are. That if you want to belong to Israel's God, you need to belong to Israel. And if you want to belong to the Greek gods, then you better be a Greek. God was going to throw all that aside. But before God could do it, he needed to get Peter's attention. Now, 2,000 years later, those of us who hear every week that whoever you are and wherever you are on your pilgrimage of faith, you are welcome in this place and at God's table, we might take all that for granted. But Peter and his companions most certainly did not. When he arrived at Cornelius' house, the first thing Peter says is, now you all know I'm not supposed to be here. The law says that I, a Jew, am not allowed to have anything to do with you Gentiles. But you know what? God told me not to call anyone profane or unclean. So here I am. When Peter, after giving his beautiful speech, which again the lectionary omits today, and seeing the Holy Spirit fall upon these Gentiles, Peter asks a question, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these individuals who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And when he asks that question, it's not a rhetorical device. He's really asking, can anyone? Can we? Can this thing that we've always known, can we give it up? Are we ready to do that? 
If you read the next chapter, chapter 11, you get a sense of what a stretch this is because when the other apostles and believers in Jerusalem hear about this, they're not happy. They call Peter and say, what are you doing? Why did you go and eat with these uncircumcised men? And Peter has to defend his actions, telling them what Cornelius had seen and what he had seen and how the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles in a way that no one could have expected. In other words, Peter wasn't looking for an excuse to break the rules. Peter wasn't trying to let go of 2,000 years of ethnic distinction that the Jewish people had celebrated ever since Father Abraham had answered God's call to go. No. All Peter was doing was saying his prayers the way he always did. Refusing to eat the foods he wasn't supposed to eat. And in that moment of traditional faithfulness, God showed up and let him know that it was time for something to change. God is always doing something new. God is opening our eyes and our ears to see and hear these new and profound things that God is showing us. God is teaching us how to call holy those things that the world has never known to be holy. But the only way we will recognize them, the only way we will see what God is doing, is if we're faithful in the ways we already know. I think we underestimate these days what it means to do those old-timey religious practices like read and study the Bible, like commit verses to memory, like singing psalms and hymns around the dinner table like fasting when we want to know what God might be saying to us. Peter and Cornelius said their prayers and God showed up. What will happen when we pray like that? Now, some people think that in order for things to progress, in order, in order for us to get to new places, we've got to leave religion behind. And for those who have been wounded by religion itself, that might make sense. But there are others of us from within the religious tradition who are eager for God to show up and call holy those things we haven't noticed as holy yet. But we can't get there, we can't see them if we leave God behind. We are the ones who pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and pray those words with every fiber of our being, yearning to see what new things God will show us, how God will break those shackles that the world would impose upon God's unconditional love. But we can't see them unless we're faithful even faithful in the ways we already know. Because we can't call holy what the world refuses to see as holy if God isn't leading us into those new places. Today we come together not only to celebrate 
Cornelius's conversion or Peter's conversion, but our own conversion. Not our conversion to the way of Jesus, but that daily conversion that we all pursue as we make ourselves available to whatever God is going to do in us and through us this day. We've come here to pray like Peter and to pray like Cornelius and to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to those things we couldn't even imagine. We are the ones who believe in the crucified and resurrected one, which means we are the ones who believe that even out of our own inadequacies, God will bring new and abundant life. How will we see it? When will we know it? when we stay rooted in the faith that we know, a faith that isn't static, but a faith that grows and blooms each day. Thanks be to God. Amen.